When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anytime I'm asked to talk about math, I don't even think I'm exaggerating when I say 95% of the time, people literally make weird noises. Like people are like, oh my, oh my God. (laughs) Like, you know, like people have like a visceral reaction and they'll be like, oh my God, I hated math. Like, you know, do you ever notice that? Like people like hated math. No, Vanessa, I have no (laughs) idea what you're talking about. Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen, and that was Vanessa Vicaria, a Toronto-based educator, and Caroline your new unofficial math therapist. (laughs) Uh, It feels like very official, I would say. (laughs) But so we're talking to Vanessa today because, Kristen, listen, I'm going to be real. Like, I am carrying around some major math baggage and I'm sick of it. Like, I didn't even realize, though, like how much I had internalized sort of my younger days non-math skills until not that long ago. Like, you and I were recording a podcast in our previous podcast lives and this one sort of like unexpectedly triggering thing happened. I remember this. Yeah. So Kristen and I were recording an episode and I kind of randomly threw out there that like, I'm terrible at math. And you and I just moved on and didn't think about it anymore. Well, that's I can't say that's true for our listeners. We ended up getting a letter from a listener who was pissed at me that I had said that about my math abilities because she basically accused me of like furthering and worsening gender stereotypes around math. And dude, I was pissed. I was so pissed because it's like it's my problem, not yours. Back off. I get that sensitivity, though. Like high school math and I were not friends, Caroline, like even though (laughs) did I manage to get good grades? Yes, I did. (laughs) But did I ever think that I was competent at all in math? No, I did not. So uh, I've got a little baggage to spill myself. And y'all, luckily, Vanessa is so game to help us sort it all out. So my goal with you here today (laughs) through math therapy, because what I what I really think the main issue is, is you at this point in your life still thinking that you're bad at math. Like, I want you to leave this conversation reconsidering that, okay, just so we know what our, like, end game is. Excellent. The I'm bad at math story is one that so many girls and women write about ourselves. Including Vanessa. So before you hop on the math therapist couch, Caroline, we're going to hear how Vanessa went from failing to falling in love with the subject. And later, we've invited some unladylike listeners to call in with their own math therapy questions. All to find out, can we rewrite our bad at math story? And why is that especially hard for girls? Vanessa is an educator, math tutor, and arithmetic hype woman. 
Really. She's written a book called Math Hacks, Cool Tips Plus Less Stress Equals Better Marks, and she regularly appears on Canadian TV to promote math as a rad skill that's actually a lot cooler than most of us think. Oh, and in 2016, she also competed in my new favorite Canadian game show. My name is Vanessa, and I'm from Toronto. Am I Canada's smartest person? Am I Canada's smartest person? I am Canada's smartest person. Spoiler, she is not. Uh, Vanessa actually lost on a math question, which she finds hilarious. <laughs> and when she's not playing around on television, Vanessa's hustling at her own tutoring studio called The Math Guru, which she opened back in 2010. So what is a math guru? <laughs> um, I like to say it's someone who has, like, deep wisdom and understanding surrounding what it means to not only know math, but to, like, love and appreciate math. It sounds like you're in love with math. Okay, but... (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay, I'm not in love with math. I'm going to say that straight up right now. Like, this might be controversial. It's not a love for math. It is a love for, like, showing people what opens up to them when they realize they are capable of math. That's Vanessa's whole mission for her tutoring studio, creating a space where being bad at math does not exist. She's a certified high school math teacher with a master's in math education, so she's not like shooting from the hip here. But from there, she applies a more creative approach to accommodating like the different learning styles that we all have. So like she offers traditional one-on-one tutoring, but also back-to-school boot camps, exam parties, like literally finding the fun in the most infamously unfun subject. I started really realizing... um, that people have math trauma legitimately. Like, it's not just that you hated math and you found it boring for the most part. For most people, they had a situation in math where they developed an idea about themselves that they have carried with them throughout adulthood. And I mean, for kids, it's they're carrying it with them right now and it's really affecting their approach to education. But I find a lot of adults are kind of like, they don't realize that this this decision they've made about who they are mathematically actually is so deeply ingrained and affects their life. And I was like, oh my God, wouldn't it be cool if you we, adults actually dealt with that? And that's what math therapy is. Vanessa is still sort of like concepting what adult math therapy would look like in practice. And lucky Caroline is going to get kind of a guinea pig session with her in just a bit. Yes, I am. But even though the therapy concept is kind of new, it's really just an extension of her underlying passion for disrupting math education so that girls don't have to go through the math hell she did. Exactly. Because Vanessa is over the moon for math now, but... It wasn't exactly love at first sight. In high school, she only had hard eye emojis for one subject. I really developed this hardcore dream, and that dream was to A, become a famous actress, and B, to marry Keanu Reeves. Those were like... (laughs) And I have not really, like, let go of either of those, and Keanu is still single and looking hotter than ever. If you're listening, Keanu, John Wick 3. I'm really just waiting for Speed 3, let's be honest. That was, that's what did it for me. (laughs) I gotta get on that bus. As Vanessa became more and more focused on getting headshots or finding agents, she ended up becoming a lot less focused on school. She stopped paying attention and started getting failing grades in math. 
And it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like the more I was like, oh yeah, I probably, you know, can't really do well at math anyways because I'm so creative and artsy. Like I didn't try and then I failed. What specific type of math were you taking when you really hit that roadblock? I remember it was grade 10 and it was quadratic equations. And I remember walking out of this test and I was like, oh my God, I actually nailed that. And me and my friend were talking about it. I was like, oh my God, I didn't even need that like weird formula thing. And she was like, you needed to use that on every single question. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) I was like, oh, well, I didn't use it once. Vanessa's parents hired that friend of hers to be her tutor. And with extra help and attention, Vanessa was actually able to grasp quadratic equations. So it wasn't that she couldn't do math. But I didn't care enough to really explore it because I was like on my way to L.A., you know, to like hitchhike and meet Keanu. She ended up failing 11th grade math twice. And as that happened, my failure, I would say, was met with like acceptance, I think, by most of my peers and my teachers. Um, I don't think that felt great. This is such an important point, Caroline. Like, there's been a ton of research on how girls internalize that bad math stereotype. And a big part of it is picking up on parents and teachers' low expectations and, like, their own math anxieties. Right, totally. And and a good teacher can make all the difference. It did for Vanessa. When she came home with her failing grades, her parents moved her into Toronto's first alternative school, the kind of place where kids call teachers by their first names and they really focus on different learning styles. That's where Vanessa met her unofficial math therapist. I walked into my math class that first day And my math teacher, Eva, I remember I said to her, I was like, oh, my God, you're going to have a lot of trouble with me. I'm not a math person. And she just looked at me and she was like, that's not even a thing. And I was like, what? And that changed everything for me. After acing her 12th grade math class, she had a whole new story to tell herself. And it didn't star Keanu Reeves this time. I really love algebra because I love like the methodical and meditative nature of algebra of just like working through a problem. Like, you know, when you have like a full sheet and at the end you have like a one digit answer after you've worked out this crazy like thing. I don't know. I, I, you guys, I lost you guys. (laughs) No. (laughs) Thanks to Eva's encouragement and attention, Vanessa did a complete 180. And living through that experience is why she's so passionate about that whole like no one is a math person thing. I became really, really good at math or I discovered that I was really good at math. Maybe I didn't become good at math. Maybe I was the whole time. But there was such a marked difference between the me who like didn't care at all, thought math was the most boring thing ever and literally was failing to a person who like loved math, loved the beauty of it, loved the whole like process behind it and really, really, really wanted to do well. I am curious though, where is the space in this framework for people with, say, dyslexia or mm-hmm. um, whatever kind of, like, more severe learning disabilities? I, I And I think that's a really good question. I think the most important thing about this framework is realizing that that is a part of it only. Our limitations are not as kind of disempowering as we think they are. Listen, Vanessa is not a math aptitude flat earther. Like, learning disabilities and cognitive differences are real. 
Her point is that the emphasis we place on innate ability and genius discourages us from even wanting to try. Yeah, there's this thing called the brilliance effect, and it's basically the myth that innate genius rather than hard work and failure is what drives success. And it's a very masculine gendered myth. Like, just think Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, and what's wild is how early girls pick up on this. Like, researchers have found that by age six, girls are less likely to associate brilliance with their gender. And, you know, if you assume brilliance or, like, natural ability or whatever is the price of admission for math, then it's going to take a lot of encouragement and attitude shifts to stick with it. Because to me, it's all about empowerment and control and doing what you can with what you have. And I just want people to know that you can do so much more with what you have than we're led to believe by people, by media, by society. Like, we have so much more power than we think. Vanessa didn't see so much of that going on, though, as a high school math teacher. I noticed, like, the craziest gender imbalance in my class. So what was happening is... There were these incredibly bright girls, like they'd be getting 90s on their tests, and there were boys who would be getting 40s on their tests. And this is how it would go every time I returned a test. I would ask one of the girls who got a 90 to come put her answer on the board, and she'd be like, oh my god, oh no, oh, I, I really don't know it. It's it's such a fluke. I actually, mm, I really worked, I studied really hard, and now I forget how to do it. And then some guy who'd gotten a 40 would be like, yo, miss, miss, I've got, I got this. <laughs> And I'd be like, you don't fucking got this. <laughs> like, you have no idea what's going on. Vanessa was witnessing a phenomenon that is definitely not limited to her classroom. And she wanted to figure out what was up with girls' persistent math anxiety. So she left the classroom and went back to school for a master's degree in math education, where she developed her whole, like, nobody's bad at math philosophy. Then she opened up her tutoring center where she puts that approach into practice. Over time, honestly, it has become a space for just eradicating any stereotypes surrounding, like, not even just mathematical intelligence, but intelligence. So the idea that there's, like, this type of nerdy person who's smart, and to be smart means you have to sacrifice, like, everything else in your life. That's the stereotype that we're trying to get rid of. All right, but how do we actually get rid of the stereotype? Well, one way is by taking a more emotional approach to the world's most logical subject. So when we come back, Vanessa gives this whole math therapy thing a spin on me. Oh my God, this is so exciting. You're my first math therapy client. Stick around. We're back with math tutor slash therapist Vanessa Vicaria. And Caroline, at the top of the episode, you shared that, like, kind of math trigger that really took you by surprise. Oh, yeah. Well, the more digging I did around this whole girls are bad at math stereotype, I was taken by surprise myself. Hmm, really? Yeah, so, like... <laughs> I had naively assumed that surely, surely, at some point way back in history, uh, you know, math aptitude was not gendered. It was just like, humans can do math. No big deal. How wrong I was. Because seriously, this gender myth is embedded into the entire Western history of mathematics. I am not exaggerating. Like, if we rewind all the way back, to Greek Pythagoras in the 6th century BCE, that's before calculators existed, 
Like, math was virtually worshipped as the essence of masculinity. Mm, sexy. Oh, we'll talk about sexy. Pythagoras was not only a mathematician, he was considered like a mystic who about himself said, there are men, gods, and men like Pythagoras. I don't trust a person <laughs> who talks about themselves in third person. Don't trust them. I mean, but he was great with triangles. <laughs> So in giving me this history, it sounds like what you're telling me is that, like, when we're talking about girls toting around math baggage, like, today, Mm -hmm. it makes sense that even the girls who are getting good grades are still super insecure because it's not even really about the numbers. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not about the equation. Something doesn't add up. Uh Mm -hmm. It's about how connected all of those traits that are associated with math genius, things like logic, reasoning, emotion-free objectivity, like, define Western masculinity. They're totally linked. Exactly. So no wonder Vanessa says we could all use some math therapy. And speaking of which, Caroline... I think it's time for your sesh. You are correct, Kristen. And, uh, you know, I might be like 20 years older than Vanessa's typical students, but better late than never. It's true. And, and y'all, the way this works is that Vanessa basically just asked Caroline to explain her math journey. And then Vanessa is going to give some food for thought. So let's dive in. My dad was always great at, he raised me like with flashcards, both in terms of like vocab words, but also math equations. So uh, it seems like my foundation should have been very even. Um, But as soon as like middle school hit and kids started being put on different math tracks, Mm. I was immediately put on the lower level math track. And like everybody knew it. It was no secret. It was like, oh, well, Chris Smith is in that math track. And, like, I know he's a freaking math genius. I'm clearly in the dumb class. It did not help that the dumb class that I was part of had a terrible teacher. Um, I'm not even sure she understood the math she was trying to get us to learn. (laughs) Um, And so from right there, it gets ingrained. And I proceed over the next couple years to be tutored in math. My parents shelled out bottomless pits of money. Tutoring me in math from the time I was in eighth grade to the time I graduated high school. And you know what? I never really got it. I got by in algebra because it was like writing sentences. Uh, I loved my math tutor outside of school, but she couldn't break through what by this point had been the solidified fact that I was bad at math. And I was even one of those people who said, like, my senior year of high school, like, well, I don't really care. You know what? Because I'm never using math again. And let me tell you how frustrating that is now at the age of 35 when I'm trying to, like, measure a room and figure out how to, like, hang a picture or something. I'm like, I need to understand angles. (laughs) Do you remember who, was there a first person who, like, explicitly told you that you were bad at math? Hmm. I think it was just simply the grades at the top of all of my homework and tests. Um, I just never understood it. I literally remember sitting on my dad's lap as a fourth grader sobbing because my teacher said, this is mental math. This entire homework assignment is all about mental math. You've got to do it in your head. Well, if I don't know how to fucking do math, how am I going to do it in my head without (laughs) doing it on the page? And like sometimes, so if it was homework, sometimes I would cheat and like try to figure it out on the paper and then write the answer down on the actual worksheet so it wouldn't look like I had to work it through. But I remember my dad having to like hold me as I sobbed and said, it's not mental math for me. Oh, my God. 
This sounds so horrible. <laughs> TLDR. I was getting like 106s on all of my like English assignments, but um, no validation, negative validation was happening in my math classes. And so like, why go for something that is not inherently easy when I could just pursue written words, language and literature, which came to me so naturally, which I enjoyed working at? Um and which I was then validated through. Oh my god, that is a lot. That is a I I'm feel I feel for you right now. Like I feel for grade for you. I know. I poor grade, poor grade I'm, for me. Yeah, it's okay. So there's a lot to unpack here, but let's just let's just I'm going to start with a few questions. So first of all, when you're like the grades were speaking for themselves, like what kind of grades are we talking? Oh god, there were lots of uh, lots of D's and C's, and I mean I pull, okay. I. I, you know, I pulled off B's, but there were a lot of like, this is unacceptable. I am an A student. This is insane. I'm now sweating. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the the first thing is that I, I really think there are a bunch of red flags along the way of like your mathematical journey that made it hard for you. So first of all, like you were told you were bad at math because in grade six, you were put into the like quote unquote dumb math class. So right away you have that in your head. And I mean, there is so much to say about this idea that you're like, well, you know, I was inherently good at writing. Like that just came easy to me and that's completely fine. But I don't think we often realize how much of a force that is to think that we're innately good at something or innately bad at something. So if you are already at like 12 years old thinking, well, I'm bad at math, that probably had a larger effect on like your performance than you think. So that's one thing I would say. The second thing is, have you done anything in your life that was hard that you were like, I want to get good at this and I'm going to do it? Like, can you think of anything? Like what? Oh, God. Um, What about you played piano? Oh, yeah. I mean, I took piano lessons. And again, though, I literally had a teacher who was like, you have inherent musical ability. This oh is my wonderful. God. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, no offense. I'm sure you're an incredibly talented <laughs> musician. <laughs> so like you hearing that you had inherent ability, how did that make you feel? Oh, great. Oh, so good. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I was 26. I had just gone through a breakup and I needed something to do with my time. You're getting to like rent out a concert hall. Yeah. Like, here we go. <laughs> I love this. You started taking piano when you were 26. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I seriously was like, well, I don't have a, I don't have a man taking up time. Might as well buy a keyboard. <laughs> These Let's nice ivory keys. Okay, nice. That's amazing. Okay, so at 26, you decided to pick up a totally new skill. Mm-hmm. You're told you're inherently good at it. Do you think you could just pick it up whenever, and you'd probably be fine? I would, and I would look forward to it. I and you'd think. look forward to it. Like the okay. fact that I, the idea that I have this like latent ability just hanging out, like gives me, <laughs> it does give me the confidence of like when I sit back down and remember how to read music, I could do it. You could do it. Okay. And not only that, like I feel like that is, first of all, that's like a confidence boosting thing. So I took piano lessons too, actually, when I was like a kid and I, hated it. And like, ironically, I play keyboard in my band now, but like, (laughs) I, I hated it. Like I, I hated practicing. I like kind of like hated everything about it. I hated my teacher, like coming to my house and she always ate tuna sandwiches and it was gross. And like, (laughs) I, I think one of the issues too with education is that we, we like 
kind of teach kids that hard work sucks. Most of my students have this weird thing where they're not good at something unless it was easy for them. So they, this idea of like, I'm good at English because it's not hard for me and I still get good marks. That means I'm good at it. I'm not good at math because in order to get good marks, I have to work my ass off. I'm not good at it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, as an adult, I still feel that way about certain things. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I think what happens is like, I will literally have kids say to me, like, what is the point of me working hard if I don't get into the school I want? Or like, what is the point of hard work if I don't get a 95? And and I wonder if like, in a way you felt like that with math. Like, it's like, what is the point of all your hard work if you're still going to get that grade or if you're still going to be put into that dumb math class? Like, I, I was kind of going about this in a roundabout way, but I wonder if like now as an adult, like having a different mindset around failure, if you would be more willing to try something you were bad at. Yeah. I mean, and I think too that like the idea of picking up the piano, like that was fun and I had zero baggage versus if I were to now try to teach myself or learn or brush up on any type of math, like there is so much baggage there to the point where like even as an adult, like I have said on the show before, like blah, 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 you know, I've always been bad at math. And we we did hear from a listener who was out and out angry that I said that. And I, dude, I got like very defensive because my whole thing is like, you don't know me. You don't know how much I struggled in math and you don't know how legit bad at it I was. And talking to you though, what I'm hearing is like, okay, well maybe they shouldn't have come for me that way. But also maybe I need to speak about myself and math ability in a different way way to leave room for the fact that maybe if I did set set or like sit down to dedicate myself to actually learning it in a pressure-free environment, like maybe I could actually get better at it the way that you can get better at anything with practice. Exactly. So here, here's the other thing. You have like legitimately written a story about yourself, right? Like we all have a narrative that we carry around and like you've just told me your story. I'm bad at math no matter how hard I tried. But if if you actually want to start maybe re-examining that and rewriting it as like, I'm a human, like this was literally what happened in math. Like I got streamed, I got did this, I did that, I got some bad grades, I was crying, blah, blah, blah. And never in there use language like because I was inherently bad at math. First, I think that might really change things for you. And then second of all, this idea of I tried and I still couldn't do it. Okay. I hear this all the time. I tried, you know, I paid attention in class. I did my homework. I had a tutor once a week and I couldn't do it. And therefore I'm bad at it. Well, here's the real deal is no one's guaranteeing that that's the exact recipe for success. Maybe you needed five hours of tutoring a week. Maybe you needed to do twice the amount of homework. We don't know what it is that you needed to do to like feel like you were finally good at math or to get an A on your test. You've kind of just decided, hey, this is the recipe that I followed. And this should have been the one that made me good at math. But it's not like the same people require the same things to be good at anything. So like all of these to me are things like I'd want you to think about. But the biggest thing I want you to do, like I really want you to consider doing honestly, is I want you to think of a concept that you were bad at. Like whether it was like something you couldn't understand, like maybe it was fractions, maybe you said something about angles, like I don't know what it is. But I want you to pick one thing and I want you to learn it. 
Ooh, okay. some homework. Were you really bad at times tables? Was it long division? Like, was there anything specific? Like, one, one concept. Oh, my God. So we've actually got a couple of callers on the line with some... Uh, math therapy questions as well. Okay. Caroline, could you be thinking yes. thinking of that thing? We will, will come back to it. We're but not, I like, we're not going to leave this. I do like that as like the top line for homework. Yeah. Like go back and That's, teach yes. myself. But yeah, thank you, the, Vanessa. No, no problem. But I think this is going to be the aha moment is because I know you can learn it. When we come back, we open up the phone lines and Vanessa helps unladylike callers sort through their own math baggage. And how to not pass along that baggage to the girls in our lives. And I pick a titillating homework assignment. Stick around. We're back with our Oprah of maths, Vanessa Vicaria. Kristen, as you and I have made quite clear, we are not the only ones toting around some math baggage these days. Our unladylike callers are dialing in right now with their own conundrums for Vanessa. First up is Allison. Allison, hi, you're on the line with unladylike and Vanessa, the math guru. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so excited to be on the line. I've been listening from or to you guys since the start. I'm actually also in Atlanta. And my question is around trig and why math stopped making sense to me when I got to that, like, study. Okay. So the first thing, um, I always find trig, like, a make or break point for two reasons. Um, it can, like, turn someone from hating math into all of a sudden really loving it or vice versa. and um, Allison, I wanted to ask you, is it when you learned Sokotoa? Is that when it was? Yes, it was literally okay. that. So I can tell you exactly why, because it is so fucked how we teach it. And that's literally the reason why. So trig for everyone who's interested are, they're actually graphs, like the tr trig, like sine, cos, and tan are graphs. But when we introduce them to kids, we don't do that. We're just like, oh my God, Sokotoa, find angles of a triangle. And it literally makes zero sense because all of a sudden you're pressing like coast on your calculator and you have no context for what it is at all. So like the kids usually who struggle in math and just want a cool visual thing to do and a formula are good at it. And the kids who actually like understanding math are bad at it because they have no clue what's going on because they really should be teaching the graphs first. That sounds like yeah. me. I always liked math because I understood it and the equations always made sense to me, but then that happened and it didn't. So I think you're yeah. right. Allison, like what role does math play in your, your life today? Is it part of your job or anything like that? It's, it's actually not a huge part of my job. I actually work in a creative industry doing a lot of like just strategy but it always bothered me because I was really good at pretty much every other type of problem solving. But when I hit trig, it just didn't work anymore. So it just kind of has eaten at me since I was in high school. Well, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually very validating to hear. I really appreciate the explanation. It makes a lot of sense. No problem. Well, I mean, now, now going back, you can actually research. I mean, may maybe now going backwards, learning the graphs and then doing Sokotoa might make you excited. Maybe try that just for fun. I might, actually. Aw, thank you, Allison. Yeah, thank you guys for giving me a chance to call in. I'm so excited to uh, hear everything else. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks. All right, so next up, I believe we have McKay 
on the line. Hello. Hi. 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 So um, I'm calling in. I love that you're doing an episode on that because I actually grew up, um, I guess it was eighth grade, I want to say. Um, my algebra teacher started having trouble in math for the first time, like ever, ever, ever. And my mom, of course, you know, was super involved. And so she went to my algebra teacher and was like, you know, what can we do? How can we help her? Like, do, is, would tutoring help? Blah, blah. And she basically was like, well, you know, she's just like not an math person. Ugh. And that was the first time it ever even occurred to me. So I was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess, I guess not. Like, I can just kind of give myself a break on that, or I don't know what it, what it was exactly, but it sort of was like, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not a math person. Okay. But it got to the point where I was actually having what I didn't realize until a couple of years later, even was having like anxiety attacks in math class in my 10th grade year. So, yeah, you know, that became this, like, really, really fraught thing for me. Um, Then, I guess it was the following year, I had to take, you know, I was required to take a couple of math credits and was able to sub in a logic class, which is all of the same, like, mental processes that happen, which is not the numbers, and I was awesome at it, and I loved it. And at that point, like, I wasn't required to take any other math stuff, so it was just sort of too little, too late. But now I look back on it and, you know, like having gotten an official diagnosis of anxiety and actually like ADHD and all of that, like I've, I know now that like the reasons I was, I was struggling at math were not actually my fault and not being a math person was not actually a thing and that teacher was kind of a thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, my, my question, I guess, is why aren't we identifying, especially in girls, why aren't we identifying these things that are preventing girls from excelling at math when it's, you know, they're just as capable as the boys? What can we do to sort of pick up on those problems a little bit better, I guess? Um, Okay, so the ADD thing is really interesting, and I've actually been listening to a lot of research on this, and I find it fascinating um, because you're totally right Uh, there is a really, really big misdiagnosis problem. And I don't know how much you know about this or how much research you've done, but ADD actually presents completely differently in girls for the most part. Not all the time, but depression, anxiety, panic attacks, um, boredom, those are all really big symptoms in girls and not in boys. So I I think you're right. There's a complete issue uh, with diagnosis that way, and a large of large part of it is rooted in the fact that we still think that boys are innately smarter at math than girls. I think it's deeply embedded in there that there is an innate intelligence. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Because yeah, I definitely got like the the teacher that I had started having anxiety attacks in her class. Like she like called me lazy a couple of times because I didn't you know had right. I'd done the homework, but I like got two problems in and just couldn't get past it because I wasn't understanding anything and it just, you know, it was just too much. I like, couldn't handle it. Anyway, so yeah. I was just curious, McKay, um, whether you remember what it was about taking that logic class that really clicked for you? Um, it actually, a lot of it had to do, first of all, with the professor. Like she was, um, she was a younger woman and so very much not that, you know, that, that concrete idea of like, you know, you're either good at math or you're bad at math, you're good at this or you're bad at this something about associating words as opposed to numbers that made it less terrifying for me, I guess. <laughs> so, and it was being able to do that, that like really got me fired up. It was so much fun. Well, th- this is also brings up a really interesting point that I'd like to say, because I, when we are 
oh my god, I'm like stuttering now. I just got so flustered. I was like, I need to say at this point. Okay. <laughs> but this this is a really important point. What we talk about when we say being good at math. What the fuck does that mean? It doesn't mean you can like mentally calculate something. I mean, sure, it could mean that. But math at its very core is simply problem solving. That is all it is. It's about being able to creatively solve problems. And that's why it's even more ridiculous that we separate creative thinkers from logical thinkers because the best mathematicians are creatives. You're thinking creatively about how to solve a problem. Everyone who's won a Nobel Prize Oh my God, I'm actually yelling at the top of my lungs. <laughs> Do it! <laughs> but like anyone, anyone who's won a Nobel Prize or like any, it's because they came up with a creative new solution to something. So this idea of like you saying, wow, this logic class all of a sudden kind of re-sparked your interest, but it wasn't traditional math. is kind of bullshit. Like it is math. It's the most mathematical at its core. And we really need to reframe what we mean when we say someone's good at math or not. And that that's also why I say people aren't bad at math. Like if you can think, if you can solve a problem, you're good at math, period. I just dropped the mic, guys. That was a mic drop. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is, yeah, this has been a really fabulous conversation. Well, thank you for calling in, McKay. Thanks. All right. So our last caller on the line is Kelsey. And Kelsey, are you there? I am. Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for calling in to Unladylike. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So what's, what's your question for Vanessa? Yeah. My question is that I grew up with uh, with my mom, who was always saying that she was terrible at math and, you know, just like constantly like, oh, I'm so bad at math. I'm so bad at math. And I didn't get math, I will say. Like, I just was sort of, if people talk to me about math or in class, I would sort of get a fog. And then it would be in class, and I don't know what happened, you know, the, the math fog. <laughs> so my daughter is 10, and she actually gets math. Like, she she gets it. She actually likes it, that kind of thing, except when it's a new subject or a new part of it, you know, like they've transitioned into the next unit or something. Mm-hmm. And then it's like often meltdowns and just, she just thinks she's terrible and stupid. And like all of these words that we never say in our house suddenly come out of her box. Um, so I was hoping you had some suggestions for a way to kind of sell the idea that math is fun and important when I'm not necessarily a believer? Um, This is one of my favorite questions because as you can imagine, as a math teacher, I get asked all the time the famous question, but when will I ever need this? And I have not, you know, professionally prepared an answer to this, but I've said this so many times and I'm such a big believer in this. And I feel like this is going to change your mind too. So I'm excited. So The idea of math being fun or being relevant or whatever needs to, like all of that needs to be thrown out the window. Not because it's not, because it is, but the most important thing about math to know is that, okay, we're going to, we're going to just like step right into analogy. Like, you know, when you go into the gym and you are lifting weights. I don't know if anyone works out here, but like, you know, for you're lifting a weight. You're imagining what it might, what it might be like to lift a weight. When you leave the gym and you're cruising down the street with your new bulky buff arm, are you practicing that same motion up and down the street, right? Are you like flexing your bicep up and down the street? You're not. You're not doing that. But you now look ripped and you're a lot stronger than you were when you left the gym, 
right? Can we like agree on that like analogy? Yes. Okay. So this is exactly what math is like. Are you going to be sitting there, you know, walking down the street with a ruler and measuring every polygon you see? I don't know. Maybe. Likely not though. And if you're not, the fact that you have learned how to do that and you've learned this totally new skill and you've learned how to look at shapes in a completely different way have now made your brain stronger. That's how I like to present it to kids. I like to say your brain is like a muscle and every single new thing you learn is going to make your brain stronger. That is the real purpose of like, why do I need to sit through math class? Is because no matter what, you can't argue with the fact that learning something new is going to make your brain a cooler, better brain. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would say. And like also the meltdown at the beginning of a new unit sounds to me like it's simply because learning something new is hard, right? You don't know anything and you feel stupid immediately when you don't know something. That's for all of us. So that's not the way to approach new things. You can't, you can't. Like school, I think, makes learning not fun often, but like not knowing something and learning it is like, the most fun thing. Like imagine if someone told you as an adult right now, hey, guess what? Tomorrow you get to just actually not go to work and you can spend five hours just learning something. Like wouldn't you be excited? I'd be like, oh my God, this sounds like the best idea ever. Yeah. Right? (laughs) So I think it's kind of like reframing it. Like math class is not just like a math class. It's actually this opportunity to learn something you did not know yesterday. Yeah. That is awesome. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for asking. I love that question. Thanks so much, Kelsey. We really appreciate you calling in. Absolutely. Bye. 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 All right, Caroline. Mm Mm-hmm. What's she going to try to learn? Um, okay. okay yes. Sorry. Not what are you going to try to learn? What are you going to learn? What's my homework exactly. that I'm assigning myself? Um, so you blew my mind earlier when <laughs> Sokotoa came up because I was like, wait, wait, wait. They're talking about trig? I didn't think I took trig. And it turns out maybe I did because Sokotoa, I was like, this sounds like something I've done before. And I looked it up and I was like, yes, I did this. And I do remember a spark of excitement Not necessarily like, yay, I'm going to figure out sines and cosines and angles, but just like, oh, my God, it's like a mystery I'm going to solve. Um, Ooh, yes. Okay, I'm really liking this attitude. Yeah, and so my homework for myself is that I am going to reteach myself um, kind of the basics of angles and figuring out, like, how big angles are and how long the sides of the triangle are. But I do want to, like, work back up to relearning Sokotoa. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. This is, like, I was expecting you to go with, like, long division or something, but you're going for trig. Yeah. I mean, why not? That's exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Okay. This is amazing. This is so exciting. And I'm going to send you an email with some ideas and resources. Okay, great. Thank you. Just to get you started. I can't wait. Okay, yay. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. This was so much fun. And like, this is my first therapy sesh. So I definitely want feedback on how I did later because I don't know, you know, like I'm not actually a therapist here. So. No, I love it. I'm just glad I didn't cry, you know? Oh my God. Yeah, me too. But you cried enough in grade four. I know. So no need, no need for any more math tears. Exactly. Thank you, Vanessa. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay, I'll talk to you guys soon. Yes. Do not forget about your goal. You're doing trig for all the women out there. (laughs) No fresh. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks so much, Vanessa. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Kristen, I feel like what I'm hearing is that I need to be my own self-fulfilling prophecy and grab that piano energy by the keys and just tell myself that I can pick something up, learn how to do it, and then just do it. Yeah, screw what Pythagoras said. (laughs) That's right. And I am, I am very happy to report, literally, truly, that I have scheduled my first tutoring session with one of Vanessa's colleagues. Her name is Lindsay. We are going to start with some angle basics uh, and hopefully, you know, work our way up to some Sokotoa maybe. But uh, I am really looking forward to it. You know, like Vanessa's amazing. Lindsay seems really cool. And uh, I'm actually kind of optimistic. Um, I'm actually kind of jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, y'all. If you are into this episode full of advice, we've got something else you might like. Pep Talks. Yes, every Wednesday we release a brand new pep talk from an amazing unlady on a topic we know y'all need to hear about. Tomorrow, Elaine Welteroth, the former editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue, is pepping us up on being the first, only, or different person in your workplace. Elaine knows firsthand how much pressure you feel in those situations, and she has some stellar advice. But if you want to hear that pep talk and our whole Unladylike Pep Talks album, you gotta head over to Stitcher Premium, where you can also hear every episode of Unladylike without ads, which is actually kind of nice. It is nice, so sign up today. Go to stitcher.com slash premium and use the code UNLADYLIKE to get a month of free listening. Okay, y'all, we know you gotta have more thoughts on math. Share your trauma. Share your passion. Share the things that you wish we'd talked about, maybe, in our private Facebook group. Vanessa is a member, too. So join it and tell us all what you think. You can also email us at hello at unladylike.co or find us across all ye old social medias at unladylike media. And make sure to check out our website for all our sources and resources. You can also find our merch and sign up for our newsletter where you'll get actually good news about women in the world delivered to your inbox every Wednesday. Find it all at unladylike.co. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Nora Ritchie is our associate producer. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Ash Sanders transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing, sound design, and additional music is by Casey Holford. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Daisy Rosario. Special thanks to CBC Studios in Toronto and all of y'all who sent in your math questions. We are your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. Next week... I go to this meeting with my passion and and thoughts about why I absolutely have to play Louise in this movie. And then he finally says, so in other words, you wouldn't play Thelma. And there was only like a slight pause before I said, you know what's so interesting? (laughs) We're talking to Thelma of Thelma Louise, a.k.a. Gina Davis, you know, the most incredible actress and activist, all about her career on and off screen. (sighs) Make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike and you hear how excited I am for this episode, (laughs) Caroline. You're going to want to do that in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss this interview with an icon. And she does a brief impression of Susan Sarandon. (laughs) So remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike. Uh,
know my calculus. It means you plus B equals us. Y'all remember that song? I know my calculus. It says you plus me equals us. Stitcher. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find ten. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.